Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you are transformed by the word of God in the following message. And we trust you are using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. Good morning, saints. Glad you're here. If you have a Bible, please turn uh, to the New Testament, to the first book of the New Testament, uh, to the gospel, as it is called, the gospel according to Matthew and chapter 5. Meet with me particularly in verses 38 to 48, Matthew 5, 38 to 48. As you're turning there, uh, I want to acknowledge the fact that my, uh, my, the, tar- the title of my sermon is the, the King's, King's, King's Gambit. You might be familiar that there's a show on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit. This is not an endorsement of, of that, per se, um, but I think it's a, a title that will come clear. Now, a gambit, as I had to look up myself, a gambit is actually a strategic move in chess where a player sacrifices some of his you know, positions or players or pawns especially early in the game in order to gain a later advantage. That's what a gambit is. It's a, it's a tactic in the game of chess. Any chess players here? Oh, you had a few. Okay, you can play me later. Just kidding. You probably beat me. All right, but so, so today what we're going to be talking about and learning is the king's gambit. The king being Jesus, who is the lawgiver and the one who has, has set forth this new ethic of the kingdom. He's basically been telling us all along that really, as we heard prayed earlier, that the way up is down, that the way to gain is actually to lose. And so today, this uh, comes to a, a head, in a sense, within the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about our relationships with people. Now you say, well, actually, aren't all of these about relationships uh, with people? Yes, but it, this one comes to a fever pitch today. If you felt like your toes got crunched last week, well, I, I hate to tell you that's what's happening this week. And I, I, I was just telling a brother earlier that I feel very insufficient uh, preaching uh, this, on this topic, on this text. But because Jesus is the master and Lord of this church, he says, you got to preach this text. You can't skip over it. Here I go. So do not look at me as the paragon of what I'm about to say, although it has been a challenge. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 48. God's word says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The question I think Jesus is answering here today that I hope we can answer is how must followers of Jesus respond to antagonism? Let's pray. Lord, you know I need your help to proclaim your word, to teach it, and to apply it. You know how utterly insufficient I am for this task. And yet, Lord, what a joy and a solemn privilege it is to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that every listener uh, this morning and after would feel the same about your word, that the stock of the Bible would rise high in the portfolio of our treasures. And may especially this word not only strip us of our own error and sin, but may it also come with the comfort and um, all the sovereign replacements and hope from the Holy Spirit, who is the one who leads us into life and guides us into the into. The, the fullness of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus that we want to know better because we want to know you better, Father. We want this righteousness that is talked about. And so we ask, Lord, that you would, that you by your spirit would, would preach to us in, in so many ways that I am unable to this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. So these two sections of antitheses, all right, uh, this is the, the fifth and the sixth set of antitheses, antitheses that Jesus is setting up. I think they teach us that God's children meet antagonism with generosity. God's children meet genero- uh, antagonism with generosity. And you can phrase that all kinds of different ways if you want to actively engage with me. And you can take that statement and maybe rewrite it in words that make a little more sense to you or uh, might be more memorable to you, that's all fine. Um, I think our text really follows two, two movements here. Really what Jesus is presenting is actually two radical tactics, gambits, two radical tactics that demonstrate generosity in the face of personal antagonism. The first one we see is in verses 38 to 42, where Jesus presents the radical tactic of yielding your rights and from verses 43 to 47, but also with 48, is loving your adversaries. So first, verses 38 to 42, the first radical tactic that Jesus gets us to see that is engendering generosity in the kingdom of heaven is to yield your rights. Here in verse 38, Jesus addresses the legal right to retribution. It says, you have heard that it was said. All right, and the other, the other passage is said to those of old. All right, so nothing different is necessarily going on there. But he says, you've heard this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, this is coming really straight out of Leviticus 24, verses 17 to 21, and it was all over the Torah in certain senses. So this is no surprise to the Jewish ear. But you should hear the salient portions of Leviticus 24, which are on the screen, I trust, It says, for whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes 
An animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. So in, in English, uh, we call this tit for tat, in a sense. All right, so this happened, so then I get this in, in return. So this was the legal right of retribution. This was in God's word in the Old Testament. And that's how they understood this. As one scholar helpfully put it, the Torah's law of retribution limited the amount of revenge, meaning punishment that fits the crime, and the location of revenge. So what God inherently did in the Old Testament is he was like, yes, things can be replaced. Things can be uh, rectified, um, tooth for tooth, an eye for an eye, a limb for a limb, but no more than that. So God set up in the law, there were limitations to, you can call it revenge, but replacement. And the place for that, the location of revenge was not saying, well, hey, uh, neighbor, you know, you took out my eye accidentally when you were mowing the lawn, so I'm coming over and I'm going to take your eye out. That's not necessarily what it, it was. Now, you could, you could go towards that, but you'd have to go into a court of law um, as prescribed in the Old Testament and set up uh, according to the elders of the tribes there. So retribution limited the amount of revenge and the location of revenge. But what is Jesus doing here citing this? This was very popular. Jesus, what he's doing in all of these is he is clarifying the law. He's intensifying it. And some of them, he's saying, this is the way it was all along. And in these two, I really think he is turning up the heat. But here in verse 39, he says, but I say unto you, that's the antithesis. He says, do not resist the one who is evil. That's, that's, the, that's the, the tit for tat uh, for the first saying. The word for resist here at its very basic level entails opposition or confrontation. Do not resist the one who is evil. You say, well, aren't we supposed to resist and push against evil? That's not the context. It's not the, talking about evil in general, evil systems and evil laws and things like that. He's, ta he's talking about personal injury, all right? When you are suffering either some kind of abuse, some kind of loss, that's the kind of evil. So don't go to the extreme uh, uh, and, and think that, uh, oh, this is, this is just for certain, you know, there's for certain really, really bad people. No, he's actually acknowledging the fact that in a broken world, we are all tinged by evil almost constantly, okay? So it's an it's a opposition or confrontation. The same word that is here for resist is actually this, interestingly, the same word in Galatians 2 when Paul was recounting um, a, a, a scuffle between him and Peter. It says in Galatians in two, that I, I opposed Peter to his face. Why? Well, Peter was being a bit duplicitous. And, and Paul was coming in and saying, hey, I, dude, man, you're, you're not being consistent here. And the, and the idea is here is Paul stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and opposed Peter for his hypocrisy. The same idea. But here in Matthew, the same word actually carries some legal connotation. So within the realm of justice, 
all right, within the legal code, Jesus is basically saying, don't. Don't use your rights, your basic human rights of dignity. Don't demand those. And don't take advantage of your right to legal recourse. Don't. What Jesus is saying here, as we sometimes say, is don't fight fire with fire. Instead, he says, yield to the one who is being adversarial. Now, as you listen to me try to tease this out, your mind wants to go to extremes. Your mind wants to go to exceptions, because that's what we do as humans. So I'm going to ask you to rein in your mind and your imagination um, from going to those dark, extreme places and receive this as if Jesus really meant this. So when Jesus here is teaching that we ought to yield to the one who is toward us being adversarial or antagonistic, he, he fleshes this out in verses 39 by saying, yield to the one who demeans your dignity. And I'm summarizing here, verses 39 uh, and 40. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In, in Jewish culture, this was a slap on the face. You would do it with your right hand, the back of your right hand to somebody's face. If you got one of those, he, Jesus is saying, well, turn the other cheek too. This is the same thing as getting an insult in our day and age. It's the same thing as slander or libel, things that you think are, like, are really serious. But Jesus is not just saying, like, if you get hit in the face and that's, that's it, all right? No other body part. No, the point is, is that is if you are humiliated in such a way that demeans your very basic human dignity, Jesus is saying, don't fight fire with fire. Don't put up your dukes. So he's talking about insults and repeated words and acts of humiliation. Now, I could tease that out till kingdom come. But then in verse 40, under this kind of umbrella of dignity, in verse 40, he says, and if, you're, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Now, for us, that's like a tunic, cloak. Well, those are the layers of, of your, your clothing. It's, it's speaking of your property. But the whole point here is that if somebody is prosecuting you for your property and humiliating you in that kind of way and stripping you down using the power of the courts, yield. Don't fight back. Now you're saying, see, this is where I know you're asking, like, Will, what about this and what about this? And I'm asking you, just, just listen to this and then box those out and let those come later because those exceptions and those situations have other places in Scripture that answer some of those exceptional situations. But right now, we're taking Jesus at his word in this text. He's saying, yield to the one who's being adversarial, adversarial to you. Yield to the one who is trying to demean your basic right to dignity. So 
lawsuits. Let me give you an example. Paul caught on to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he's addressing the dysfunctional church in Corinth. One of the many things that he was saying, he says, like, you, guys, you guys are known for going, taking each other to the court. Christians. And he, he spends some time in the sacred letter saying, you guys ought not to do that. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. He says, to have lawsuits um, with one another is already a defeat for you. And he says this, why not suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? So this wasn't just like crazy Jesus, Jewish prophet. This is his apostle coming along and saying, okay, well, legally you, you, legally you can take him to court. Legally you can do this. I mean, just sensibly, who wouldn't want to take, have retribution? But Jesus and Paul and the apostles are saying, why not? Just suffer wrong. Why not be defrauded? Why, what good will it do to spend the time and the energy and the emotion to reclaim your good name or your property or whatever it is? Now, now please, I, I will, don't, don't think that the application of this is that you know, you put a yard in your sign, in your, on your, on your, you put a sign in your yard and say to all the migrants in Chicago, come to our house on Saturday, open house loot. As you will, go for it. That, that's not necessarily what's, what's happening here. Okay, there are certain limitations. But if somebody has your ticket and somebody is going after you, Jesus is stopping us and saying, and saying, why not? Yield. Some of us don't like the, the feeling of being somebody's welcome mat. And in some ways, I think Jesus is saying this like that. So yield to those who, are, who oppose you and demean your dignity. But in verses 41 and 42, we're to yield to those who are being adversarial in the, in the sense that they drain our resources. They demean our dignity and they drain our resources Look at verse 41. Here are your time and energy vampires. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, I think in our, in our English language, we talk about going the extra mile in business or in sales or whatever it is. That's a good thing. Like, that gets your rating up with your boss. Well, that, that's good. But, but in the context of this, this was not a good thing because what this was called was called conscription. Uh, um, be, be, the Jews being, in a sense, captive on their own land by the Romans, any Roman guard could, could get a Jew and say, hey, take this, bag, take this bag for me, and I need it to go to that next town. Or I, I need you to walk with me and carry this or do this and do that. It, is, it was a legal law for, the, for Rome that said that, they could, that the Roman guards could do that, and the Jews hated that, hated that. And Jesus, being mindful of this, he said, so next time one of these cats hits you up for a favor, go with him and go even farther. So what does that mean in the 21st century? Like, how do we cloak that here? Well, here, here's an illustration of, for, of this real quick. Back it up. When Jesus was um, on his way to the cross carrying, his, carrying the, the wooden piece, the Roman guards 
yanked someone from the crowd called Simon of Cyrene. Remember that? This is exactly what they were doing. As they, were, they were conscripting Simon to take the crossbeam of Jesus and help him out. The exact same thing. So people who tend to drain our resources, our time, and our energy, this is who Jesus says we need to yield to. To, the, to one who forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Now this is going to be coupled with verse 42 when he says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay? So here he's speaking of our, our resources, your money, your food, your resources. Jesus is basically setting the standard for our relationships to people. Don't stand toe-to-toe with your opponent. Don't say, well, you know, I bought you Jimmy John's twice. You owe me twice. Okay? Now, that's a, that's a, a rather trivial uh, a way of, of stating this. But you can take this uh, however far you want. What Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Jesus is saying, yield, do good, period. Now you're saying, okay, I'll throw a bone at you all. So if somebody's asking me money, and I just repeated and repeated money, and am I enabling them? And, you know, if I give them so much money, and then what happens? I'm not providing for my closer neighbors. Okay, well, that's a problem. Like, if you're, like, so generous that your kids don't have clothes and or food to eat, or gas in the tank, you know, for your basic, well, then, then you're depriving another neighbor, all right? You have to do this and exercise this with some measure of wisdom, but there is a generousness here. There's a liberality here that Jesus is advocating in the face of antagonism, antagonism to your dignity and antagonism to your resources, the drain on your resources. In other words, the principle here, for both of these, is absorb the dishonor rather than fight for retribution. And don't expect repayment. Be generous. Now, some of you say, yeah, well, I expect to hear that in church. But it gets real when you walk out of here. And I, I guarantee you, this is going to mess with you. And I, and I, and I, I ask you that if you are a Christian and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you let the Holy Spirit do this work. Because I, I know that this is radical. The whole sermon has been radical. That started in 517 to 21. You want to get to heaven, you have to have a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and Pharisees. This kind of proposal outstrips and outdoes the righteousness of the most righteous. Think of, in our own American history, think of the, the nonviolence of the civil rights era, how they encountered opposition and vilification and all manner of, a lot of evil with nonviolent responses. There was a lot of Christian influence and a lot of this going on in our very dark American history. I finished listening to the, by, uh, one of the biographies of Elizabeth Elliot through Gates of Splendor, very moving book. And at the end, her husband and four others had been murdered by the Alka Indians. And at the end, um, the Indians around there saw that Elizabeth Elliot had come back 
And some of the other missionary wives and their children came back even after their husbands had been murdered brutally. Those wives and those children forgave the murderers, so much so to the point that those murderers asked for forgiveness. And then later, many of them were converted. The very people who had murdered the missionaries came to faith in Christ. I wonder what would have been the story if if the American missionaries had not acted on Jesus' very serious terms of what it means to be a child of the kingdom. Even our own Lord Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. He didn't have to put up with that. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he just stood there and he took it. And of course, Peter, being who Peter was, he wasn't going to take it and he pulled out his sword. But Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to receive on the precious, on his precious cheeks, a kiss of betrayal. And after, G- and after Peter lopped off the ear of, of the enemy, Jesus made a statement directed at Peter, but for everyone to hear. And he, he said, you know, he said something to the fact of, you know, um, if I really wanted to, I could ask my father and he would send a legion of angels to come take me. He said, I have a divine prerogative. I have a divine right that I could invoke at this time. And I'm not going to. Jesus is our ultimate example of somebody who yielded and laid down his rights. He was the son of God, yes. But Jesus is our very inspiration, our very motivation. Jesus is our possibility for this. Don't you, what you cannot do is leave church today saying, okay, that was a decent sermon, and yeah, Jesus is all that, but I'm not Jesus. Ain't no way I'm going to be like that. And what, but see, if you were in the crowd that day when you listened to this sermon, this is what Jesus was asking of you. Jesus would ask you, he would look at you, sister, and say, would you just be quiet in the face of somebody cursing at you? Would you please, for my sake, for the sake of those, would you give up your right to revenge? The Heavenly Father's children meet antagonism with generosity. The second radical tactic of the generous child of God is loving your adversaries. Verses 43 to 48. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's an oral tradition. And this was basically Jesus speaking to the accepted moral code of the day. This is how people operated. Jesus addresses the conventional understanding of how how people, how we relate to people who are unlike us or don't like us. That's what this is. Love your neighbors. That's all over. I mean, Jesus quoted it, but that's coming straight out of Leviticus 19.18. But the hate your enemy part, this isn't Jesus affirming that. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying yo, uh, y'all have heard that, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Y'all, you've been living by that for a long time. But there was nowhere, you don't find that anywhere in the Old Testament, actually. It came through by inference and over, over centuries of Israel's history, they always had to revisit, like, who's my neighbor? They always were wondering that. Remember the Jesus encounter? I think it's in Luke 10, or where, where the rich young ruler came and says, you know, 
you know, hey, and Jesus is like, you got to do this and this to your neighbor. And who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That's a very key question. Unsurprisingly, the people of that time naturally went to the opposite of fondness for those who were familiar. They went, well, I love my neighbors. There's no in-between, so I guess I'm going to hate my enemies. So therefore, it became the normal and accepted practice to despise your enemies. Why not be consistent? Right? That's the way we do it. You're either in or you're out. If you're in, I like you. If you're out, I don't like you. I'm not going to be friendly to you. I'm not going to treat you well. That's, that was the ethos. That's how people lived. But in verse 44, Jesus turns up the heat where he says, but I, I, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Oh, such few words with such power that will mess with us every single day of our lives. Love your enemies, pray for your persecutors. Jesus comes along here and says that the question of who your enemy is is just as important on who your neighbor is. And I think one of the things that we pick up from this is that Jesus is actually saying that those who are outsiders, those who are your enemies, those people too are your neighbors. Meaning that the fullest fruit of having God as your father manifests in meeting real antagonism with real individuals. How? With love and with prayer. This is the kind of righteousness that is necessary for the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says this, and then he puts this, in verse 45, he puts this, so that. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Well, we pause right there. Right there, we have a purpose and a promise wrapped up all in one. Is, this, is Jesus advocating that, well, if I, if I can like get the gumption up to kind of live consistently like this, that I'm going to be led into heaven? Is this my, a ticket into heaven? No, that is not that. It is not self-righteousness. It is other righteousness moving in and through you. But look at verses 9 and 10. Flip back a, a bit. Beatitudes. Remember what Jesus said here? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They shall be called the sons of God. There's a connection there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't just stringing together a sermon of like nice, wise sayings from the Son of God. It's a very tightly woven sermon, very demanding sermon. And the whole point, really, is Jesus is saying that if you want to get to heaven, you need to have a righteousness greater than scribes and Pharisees. If you want to get to heaven, you need to be perfect. If you want to get to heaven, you have to love your enemies. If you want to get to heaven, you need to pray for those who persecute you. If you want to get to heaven, you do need to let people demean your dignity. Tall order. This was not to earn righteousness. This was not to earn 
heaven. This was to flesh out who you were already, who you are. And the underlying expectation of being, that word be in verse 45 is very key. The underlying um, uh, reality, expectation of being God's children and living up to this rat to this radically righteous standard of generosity is God's grace seen in nature, all right? So he says, do all these things. Why? So that you may be sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. What's the basis of that? Here it is, verse 45. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God's generosity is seen every single day when the sun comes up. Anytime it snows and anytime it rains, because we know, well, especially agrarian cultures like the Jewish culture know, that rain is, 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 is key, is important to have thriving crops, to have food, to have profit. And Jesus is saying that you see God's generosity on display every time the sun comes up and every time it rains. It doesn't rain on, you know, Christian here and not the Christian. God doesn't, you know, it's dark here and it's light here. It's rain here and it doesn't rain here. No, it, it, he's saying that God's rain falls on, on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on all. Now, some have called this, uh, and it rightly called this, common grace. But let's not lift that theological concept out of its original text too quickly, lest we miss an even more powerful point than Jesus is making. Point being is that God is gracious to all of us. I know this is troubling to hear for some of you, but we don't deserve anything above hell or at the very minimum, a very miserable experience of life. That's what we deserve. So if you wake up to see the sun, and if you have food on your table because God blessed some farmer and you go to Chipotle, you go to the restaurants and you go to the grocery store, you are buying groceries and eating from the same hand who feeds all. That is God. And God is gracious. God is gracious to all of us. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, I want to especially mention this to you that you are living right now, you are living on borrowed time, borrowed sun, borrowed energy, borrowed rain, and borrowed air. You're not less of a person than any Christian in this, in this room. But think, something that you need to reckon with is that you wake up every single morning, and more often than not, my guess is that you don't give a thought to God. You don't give a thought about where your next breath and where your next meal is going to come from. But I want to put this thought in your mind, my dear friend, that it, there is a God. And it is God who is making the sun show up every single day. It's a miracle that earth has not flown out of orbit. It's another solar system or another galaxy. You think about that. There's a reason why you have everything that you have, and it is because of God. And you can try to suppress that thought. You can call it religious. But what it is, 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 is giving credit to where credit is due, and that is that there is a God, and that God is keeping you alive, whether you acknowledge him or not. 
Verses 46 and 47, Jesus drives this point home. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same thing? I mean, he's, he's picking out, okay, the tax collectors here are Jewish people hired by the Roman government to basically get the taxes from their Jewish compatriots and a little more. They were crooks. And Jesus is saying is that God's grace has so shined that, that, that tax collectors know how to love people who love them. Tax collectors, they love people who pay them. They can do this. In verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers or your sisters, I love this question, what more are you doing than others? That, that is the question. What more are you doing than others? God is so gracious. And see, what Jesus is doing is he's saying these illustrations point to the fact that love is mutual. You love me, I love you. Love is conditional. Jesus is saying is, you actually love people who like you, and that's easy to do. Everyone is doing that. Everyone can do this. But how about Romans 13.10 when he says, when Paul says, following up on Jesus, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. When was the last time you wronged your neighbor, a spouse, a roommate, colleague? My history goes back probably 12 hours or, or so. So if your enemy is hungry, can you give him bread to eat? If she is thirsty, can you give her water to drink? You know what I just quoted did not come from the New Testament. The New Testament quotes Proverbs 25, 21. All along, that's been the ethic of God. There's a story of King David. Well, actually, before he became king, Saul was on the decline and David's stock was rising. And uh, there was a time when, when David was hiding and, and Saul got into the same place where David was hiding somehow in God's providence. This was a perfect setup. This is the stuff for movies. David is fleeing from King Saul and somehow Saul stepped out. He needed to use the bathroom and David was like right there. And David made Saul aware of this. And Saul knew that David could have killed him on the spot and he could have had the kingdom right then. And I love what, how the New Living Translation puts 1 Samuel 24. It says, and Saul said to David, you are a better man than I am. For you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else? Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? And Jesus asks, what more are you doing than others? Romans 5 says, while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
much, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. All of us deserved to die for our own sins. But the way God rolls, the way of the kingdom, the greater righteousness is the just for the unjust. This is how God did it for us. So if you think, oh, these are some tall orders that Jesus is throwing at us here. Of course. But Jesus is the one who did it. He is the one who makes it all possible. So when Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that mean? This is, this is, the, this is where it's kind of coming down to. You're not supposed to cut. You're not supposed to cuss back at that person who just cussed at you. Are you saying, like, are you advocating for pacifism, Will? Not necessarily, because in the book of Acts, you see actually the church running for its life into Samaria. So I'm not saying, like, well, here comes a robber into my house. I've had it, man. That's not necessarily what it's saying. But when people deliberately, especially people that you know are evil towards you, do not be overcome by that. Because what you do when you let evil overcome you, it it floods through you. And what you do is you do fight fire with fire. You do use the same tactics and ways. I know this is so hard to hear. Because we want to be able to control our destinies. We want to be able to control our circumstances. But God all along God all along says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And I don't know what you have lost at the hands of other people. What dings you have in your dignity. What drains you have on your bank accounts. What hurts that you have. Because somebody else did it to you. A very real evil. I don't know what that is, but I know that when our Lord was reviled, he reviled not. And God is asking us, if you have God as your father, imitate him. That is how you overcome evil with good. You imitate God. So you give, so the next time your neighbors throw something into your yard and you know it wasn't the wind. And maybe you go and you ask them and you say, hey, I, thought, I think I saw you throw something. I, yeah, so what's it to you? And you get into this neighbor thing. Maybe what you should do is just respond and, you know, bake some gluten-free cookies or something to give just in case they're, you know, that. Um, and then, then, then that, that, that actually might be the move of an enemy anyway, but um, sorry, I I digress, but you, Christian, are not called to take any kind of justice into your hands. You want to be like God? All of us want to be like God, right? I want to be, if you say, I want to be godly, to be godly means to be like God, and it means to respond like God the Father would through Christ. 
And Jesus says, you know, I know it's impossible to reach God. That's why I'm here, yo. So you follow me. You take my righteousness and my ability, and I will, I will give you the ability through the Holy Spirit that is coming. I will give you the ability to do this. That is why missionary wives, widows in their 20s, could look their husband murderers in the eye and say, we forgive you. But you don't have to be a widow, widower on the mission field. All you have to do is live here in the 606 long enough to be mistreated. And what Chicago needs, what your neighborhood needs, what your workplace needs, is not people who use the muscle of their rights to dignity, but who laid down those, like, those rights just like Jesus. Jesus closes this off by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your father, your heavenly father is perfect. This is not unlike back in verse 20 when he said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes, that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is tying up not just these two antitheses, he is tying up this whole section of the six antitheses. You want righteousness? You want heaven? You want to be God's child? Well, Jesus says, you got to be perfect. Not perfect in the sense of earning that, but God's children can become perfect by so imitating God and how he deals with his enemies. See, friends, the goal here isn't to turn enemies into friends, although sometimes that does happen, but to become more like God. So the next time, which could be this week, that somebody wrongs you, and you think, your first thought is, how can I get back? How can I recover my pride here? The next question ought to be, hold on. How can I actually be like God here? Against such, the apostle says, there is no law. And this is how we keep our saltiness. And this is how we shine as lights in the world. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, just to say that, to, to address the eternal creator of everyone and everything, the sustainer of everyone and everything, you who are far, you who are transcendent, have, you have come close to us in the person of your Son, and you have given us the gospel word and the words of Scripture, everything that we need for life and godliness. And in Jesus, you have given us the possibility of righteously acting this way in our relationships. Lord, I'm sure I have left many things unsaid and question marks. So I'm asking, dear God, the Holy Spirit, that you would preach upon our hearts a better message than I ever could have preached from here. Anything that is unhelpful may be quickly forgotten. And may we be seen and see through the face of Jesus Christ, your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. 
We hope you were encouraged by God's word. And for more info for joining us for a worship service, for taking your next steps with us, please visit ASCCChicago.org.